welcome to Breakfast Live by Marcast. This is the new Marketing Mag mini-series exploring stories of unorthodox attention and uncovering the organic marketing effects of doing good business. I'm Ben Ice, editor at Marketing. Today, I'm excited to bring you a chat from Breakfast 5, a live event in October hosted in partnership between Marketing Mag and Pretty Neat. On the panel, Pretty Neat Managing Director Warren Davies and Marketing's own Assistant Editor Josh Lowe spoke with Eliza Sorensen and Lola Hunt, the founders of Assembly4, about their bespoke technology and social platforms supporting legal sex workers in Australia. Eliza and Lola talked us through the sex industry's hidden hurdles, how the Trump administration's legislation has impacted sex work in legal markets, why Assembly 4 had to get an Estonian e-residency in Australia, and the future of social discourse on the big social media platforms. Uh, so uh, we have Liza and Lola, who are, I guess, um, busy in a, a variety of different ways. Do you want to sort of explain sort of who you are and yeah. what you do? So I'm Eliza Sorensen. I'm a co-founder of Assembly4 and an infrastructure and security engineer. And this is Lola. She's our other co-founder. And we're missing another person, our developer, Chendo. We started a sex worker-friendly social network in 2018, just prior to a United States law, FOSTA-SESTA, coming into play, which is Fight Against Online Sex Trafficking Act and Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act. We've got another platform, Trist, which helps financially support Twitter. So up until that point, what, what was life like for you guys? Like, what were you working on? What were you doing? You kind of, <laughs> you, you were in this space, but it kind of didn't have the, the sharp focus of having a lot of people behind it. So what was your sort of everyday life like at the time? I'm a sex worker and I was um, previously when we sort of before Foster Sister went down I was basically just working in sex work um, I have a background in um, digital marketing uh, we were working on another project which was basically a CRM but for sex workers in the sex industry a lot of services are sort of gated from us because of the stigma and um, yeah, a lot of services don't want to touch us so we thought that maybe we should start building services for sex workers. It was initially just to manage my workload and clients and all that sort of information um, and then everything went down. Yeah. What, so what, what kind of services that most people take for granted are hard for sex workers to have access to? Um, financial services. Yes, financial <laughs> services. Um, so, you know, access to banking. Um, particularly in the US, it's um, super, super hard uh, because it's illegal over there. It, but even in Australia where it is legal, um, for the most part, banking services, um, payment facilities, things like that, um, just totally... We don't get to use any of them. Even uh, financial services such as like Stripe and even PayPal, for example, a lot of Australian sex workers where sex work is legal and they're not using their PayPal account to conduct any of those services, they can have their accounts taken from them and all of the money seized. Um, And there's no way for them to challenge that. What's the justification on PayPal's part? Um, they don't have to justify, <laughs> they don't justify it. They say it's breaking terms of service. Um, yeah. And because they're a United States company, right. they have to obey United States law. Um, but unfortunately, how the internet works, that's not exactly clear-cut. Yeah. And also, like, um, PayPal don't operate as... They're not technically a bank. 
so they don't fall under sort of financial discrimination acts and stuff like that. Um, but even in Australia, sex workers were sort of left out of the equation when it came to the Anti-Discrimination Act. And as a result, there's, you know, just service after service that we can't use. Um, even hotels have been... Uh, they have a history of kicking us out or um, even when we're not working. Yeah, just name a service and we're probably not allowed to use it. So I imagine that stigma, I suppose, stops you at many points in the road, right? Because I saw, in doing a little bit of research about you guys, I saw that, was it Cloudflare, the hosting platform last year? They just kicked you off yeah. because they figured out who you were, I suppose? Well, before, when Cloudflare um, kicked us off, Switter was just a social network. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction to make. This was prior to us launching listings um, functionality. So we were just like Twitter, we were just like Tumblr, we were a social network, and they kicked us off with no notice. They give neo-Nazis notice. Um, Not only notice, a press conference. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. they haven't responded to our emails they're happy to speak to media, everyone else, but they won't talk to us about why we were kicked off. One of our other products, Trist, was DDoSed three, four months ago, yeah. and they contacted us. Sorry, um, what's DDoS? Uh, denial of service. Oh, okay. So, you know in the first Harry Potter film where you've got Harry trying to get all of those letters from Hogwarts? Mm. Think of Harry as a server. He's trying to grab those letters and like open them and respond to them. He can't because there's so many. That's the server. It's just pummeled under the requests. Um, so we couldn't serve traffic. That's the best, best description I've ever <laughs> I'm glad. So the intent of the laws under the Trump administration was to prevent um, sex trafficking or child sex trafficking, which you know, is not a bad intent in itself. They were not too concerned about the scorched earth kind of effect of, of what would happen there. It also kind of amended Section 230, which was safe harbours of the Communications Decency Act, which meant um, service providers like Tumblr or, or anyone else were not responsible for the content themselves. So what was the kind of mood or tone when that changed and what were platforms kind of communicating to, uh, I guess, places like Twitter or other people where this is a, an important place to do business and to, to sort of form a community? How were they justifying we can't really support you anymore. I don't think they actually made any justifications, to be completely honest. I think when the amendments happened, um, websites, regardless of their connection to the sex community, like we had websites called like the Probatic Programmer, which is a um, programming book site, which they have a forum. They closed down their forums because they're like, we cannot take the risk. Mm. So it wasn't just the sex sites industry. like us yeah. um, that were impacted by this. Places like uh, dating apps, for example, is a huge one. Tinder, Bumble, Airbnb, Model Mayhem, Model Mayhem, yeah, loads of these sorts of sites just kicked people off because they were like, "I'm not going to run the risk," Um, or shut down because they're just. It wasn't financially viable for them to manage it. There's also the thing of if you manage the adverts, for example, and you change any of the advertising words in it, you are also very much facilitating. Right. So. moderation has been something that's also taken a hit as part of this legislation. Yeah, right. So for all of these things, in your view, are they just an artifact of this sex stigma? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really hard issue to summarise all in the one sort of segment. I mean, a lot of it has to do with control over women's bodies and how we use our bodies, whether, you know, whether sex is something that should be sold or shouldn't be sold and whether... I don't know, there's a lot of, people have a lot of moral opinions about that, but it does, it really does come down to sort of patriarchal norms, which is 
obviously really hard to sum up in one, one little sure. segment. Obviously we still have a ways to go in, in pushing that dial, but we have come somewhat far. Yeah. There is progress. So do you think within our lifetimes we'll see, from your perspective, running a website like this and working in the industry, do you think we'll see a society where enormous social media platforms can be accepting of work like this and, and discussions like these? Well, it, it's sort of like the pendulum seems to swing back and forth. So you sort of seem to, sometimes you're like, oh, yes, you know, we're, we're finally working towards um, decriminalization and um, in a lot of places and that's fantastic because it, it's known to from studies that it's actually happened in other countries like New Zealand um, it is known to reduce violence and it's known to reduce sex trafficking and it's known to reduce all these like serious um, things that uh, produce harm in the community at the same time then you see things like fossil sex stuff and you see things like um, recently Instagram came out and changed their community guidelines again. It seemed like they were specifically targeting sex workers. Um, they've just banned or they've been flagging um, accounts that use um, the like eggplant emoji or the peach emoji. Two of which are core branding elements for this event. Um, which is crazy, um, even if you're using slightly suggestive language. But the, the thing that's sort of like also problematic when they start doing that and censoring sex is that a lot of other communities start getting dragged in as well. There was a study that came out yesterday by a group called Salty in the US. They're a women-led media organisation. And they did a study on algorithmic bias on social platforms and found that a whole heap of words like uh, cis woman, trans, people of colour, all of these sort of words that were used in posts were more likely to be flagged as um, inappropriate material. So, you know, it's not only just that sex workers are being censored and silenced, it's that so a lot of other communities are also being silenced as a result. And we saw in um, last year uh, when Tumblr was had a change of uh, hands and um, all of their sort of sexual content was stripped as well. And obviously, the sex work community was at pieces, but um, this also hugely affected the LGBTQI community, and that's deeply problematic. <laughs> so, you know, this fight isn't just for sex workers. Um, as sex work, it's a really, obviously, it's a very, very complicated issue, but sex workers very much the intersection of a lot of these communities. A lot of people that get into sex work are people who have come from marginalised backgrounds. Um, they've sort of fallen through the cracks a little bit. This isn't obviously every sex worker in the world. We're talking about people who come, from, who are like single mothers, who are people of colour that have, I don't know, something's happened in their life. Uh, sex work is fantastic for people who have don't have a lot of options because yeah. you don't need to have a degree or anything like that. It is very easy. Well, it used to be very easy to get started. It, it is a bit harder these days. Um, and sex workers are the canary in the cold, cold mine. They were the first ones to go and be pushed off the internet when Foster Sester happened. We screamed that this was going to happen to the LGBTQI community and it started to happen very soon after and we're only starting to see it continue to be pushed further. I'm interested in... Um what it was like for your lives at the time when this kind of happened. I, I seem to recall um, you went from uh, a good community to you had something like 15,000 people sign up in the first couple of days. Like what, what, what happened in those few days after it started to get going? Um, so we 
it got launched, um, and then Lola sent out a tweet, and then within the first weekend, I think we hit 20,000 yep. users. We're at about 277,000 users now, um, and we've actually closed our sign-ups because just handling that amount of moderation, the spam, and all the other little bits that come with it is actually really difficult between three people. Um, so we're hoping, you know, once Tris kind of gets moving, we get more help. But I just remember us just being so tired. Yeah, um, it was exhausting. It was exhausting trying to get access to services because we started this. We didn't think we were going to get this many people. We we thought this is a place for people to share. Um, How many people are on the platform now? 277,000. Nice. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it started on a, like a $15 server. Um, <laughs> that didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah, so we we never expected it to grow into the community that it is and the resources that have come from it. Yeah, it's absolutely intense to think that yeah. our little tiny community that was meant to share um, information is now this full-blown social media monstrosity. Yeah, it's a monstrosity. <laughs> it is a beast. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's crazy because, like, we also had to use um, a big part of launching Twitter and launching Trist was that um, we really had to avoid using US services. So the workers in Australia weren't as affected as the workers in the US, obviously, because this was a US law that passed and a lot of the sites were being taken down in the US. In Australia, our site sort of stayed up for the most part. Um, but when this law passed, it was a little bit like waking up in the morning and going to work and your building wasn't there. And you're like, well, what do I do? You know, how do I feed my kids? How do I... What do I do? <laughs> um, so, um, like, a big part of when we launched Twitter and we launched Trist was not using US services. So, if you can imagine, like, I know that some of you guys own businesses and run businesses. If you can imagine not using any US services. So, not using AWS, not using, you know, Google, Google services, like... How would you do your advertising if you abandon off the majority of the services and you have such heavy restrictions on your advertising? Because we have laws on what we can advertise in Australia for our yeah. services. Um, if you can't access banking facilities, how do you pay for these services? Um, yes. If you can't access VC, how do you get that? Like, we're a completely bootstrapped company and we're, we have so much privilege in being able to say that. Yeah. Um, We've had that by being able to contract and still contract. Um, whereas people we know who have been in this industry haven't had the ability to contract because they've been labelled, oh, you're in the sex industry, you're no longer allowed to work with us. Yeah. So for um, the financial services one was interesting. I think you've got some kind of obscure kind of arrangement going on now. Can you talk through some of like this, the sort of steps that went through there and, and where you've ended up? Without naming names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, when we first started, um, we tried to go through standard banks. Um, you know, we went through um, some of the ethical banks in Australia, some of the big banks, and we got denied. We were allowed to have savings accounts with these folks, but not allowed to have merchant facilities, credit card facilities, or bank business credit card. What was the typical response you'd get? Um, no response. <laughs> the, the one letter I do have which I need to get framed, says we cannot tell you 
due to our privacy concerns, wow. like yeah. the bank's privacy concerns. Or they have moral clauses. Yes. So banks have moral clauses. Or they try and say that it's because of the um, anti-money laundering laws, which is how NAB says that's why they don't support brothel sex workers. I think we spent about a year all up yeah. trying to get services in our own country. We got an Estonian e-residency. <laughs> um, so yeah. we could start up, you know, a European entity, um, mm-hmm. so we could ac- get access to European banking services. You could do Eurovision, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> let's do it. We're up for it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, we might get some money that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we went through all that, which was, you know, $900 um, plus six to eight weeks of stress. Then we actually had to send over our co-founder to go do some stuff over there. To Estonia. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think we've applied all up probably ten different like merchant providers worldwide. We've been approved by maybe three or four. Um, I think I've probably killed several trees printing out the documentation required. Um, and he's also um, the other. So the other co-founder, he's um, our sort of lead developer. Yeah. And he so far has installed. I don't know if anyone here has done this yet or has has, has had to do this, um, but he's so far integrated um, three different merchant facilities and two of them are really bad so like if you've ever done with a bad api or bad documentation that doesn't have anything there like that's what he's living through at the moment so this stuff usually takes what in a normal company he was he was saying that um because he's also worked in a lot of startups in melbourne so is eliza but he was saying that if you were trying to integrate this in a normal sort of startup realm it would probably take you around eight months or so in a normal startup but he managed to smash it out in a couple of weeks it's just been like one thing after another so we have the we've got the facility at the moment that we're working with but we're hoping that it doesn't fall through um but we just have to have to see there's no there's no sort of guarantee um because you're also working with there's a it's a really um, sort of tricky thing to get around because there's actually an agreement within um, a lot of the banks that exist in just worldwide mm-hmm. that they won't take on any sort of criminal activity. So they that includes sex trafficking, which is great, and we are like obviously not for sex trafficking in any way, shape, or form. What usually happens is that banks are just kind of like, I don't want to run the risk. Like I'm just not even going to try. I'm not going to touch it. Um, so you end up with us being refused services like again and again and again yeah. uh, which is problematic for the people that actually need to use those services yeah um, so a lot of people have been pushed to um, Bitcoin um, and a lot of cryptocurrency alternatives and if for a lot of sex workers that's buzz quite high they don't have probably never um, interacted with purchasing it might not understand that it's not anonymous being pushed off traditional banking facilities also makes it quite difficult for them so Oh yeah, on the on the topic of finance, because this is something I was thinking about. Social media content is all supported by ads, and I would hazard, and forgive me if I'm wrong, that there are few advertisers that would be willing to engage yeah. with you, yes. uh, or less than normal, let's say. So, can you talk a little bit about how the monetization works on the platform? So, there's no advertising on Twitter. Yeah. Um, we made the active decision to not do that. There's a lot of. Um, malware bad crap that gets pushed through advertising um we don't necessarily trust that stuff and to be pushed onto twitter for trist we have paid advertising that's how it's supported um so the, just to be clear the sex workers pay for memberships 
um, and there's no external advertising, no external ads. Right. And we, we sort of wanted to move away from that um, structure as well because this was when we launched Twitter. It was just after I believe um, the whole Cambridge Analytica stuff came out, and we were like, the last thing we want is like a whole bunch of you know, even if this is, if this is in the future, we don't ever want this data yeah. to come out especially and on a platform that's so sensitive oh yeah. yeah like there's just no you know essentially it has always come down to the data we don't let people near it we, we don't want to ever jeopardise those folks well thank you if, um, if people want to find out more <laughs> or sort of get involved in the campaigns what, what should they do um, well, you can head over to the, um, we have a website, um, assemblyforward.com, um, if you want to know any more information about us, if you want to get in touch at any point, feel free, there's, uh, I think contact details should be, should yep. be on there. Um, there's um, also our Twitter, um, yep. we also have a Patreon, which you can donate to us, we run, uh, digital security workshops for sex workers, um, and we've done that in the help with Scarlet Alliance, so we would really appreciate if you guys support that as well. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thanks to Eliza Sorensen and Lola Hunt of Assembly 4 for giving up their time to chat with Warren and Josh at Breakfast 5. A sneak peek into our next episode of Breakfast Live? We'll hear from General Manager Marketing and Online at Katmandu, Paul Stern, talking everything from brand building to the Rip Curl acquisition. In the meantime, check out marketingmag.com.au for more excellent marketing content. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us a rate, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.